traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The south side of Chicago faces significant challenges. Violence and gangs are ubiquitous. Poverty and unemployment rates are high, particularly among black youth. And properties sit vacant, seemingly abandoned like many of its residents. But one social entrepreneur is fighting inner-city poverty and its effects, turning flowers into opportunities for at-risk youth living in Chicago's toughest neighborhoods. We meet him next. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. On today's episode, we speak with Keelan Blackwell, president and co-founder of Southside Blooms, a social enterprise that hires and trains at-risk youth as florists and flower farmers. The social enterprise is a project of Chicago Eco House, which turns vacant lots into organic solar-powered flower farms. In our conversation, Keelan shares the stark realities of Chicago's South Side and what inspired him and his wife to settle there despite, or rather because of, its challenges. We discuss why flowers became their focus of change and the ups and downs of running a social enterprise. Keelan then talks about the value in staying joyful and his ultimate mission of transforming vacant lots into tools of impact in inner cities all across the U.S. I'm originally from Chicago. I uh, grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and I didn't actually like wake up one day and be like, hey, I want to be a social entrepreneur. I kind of fell into it. So the impetus behind it was really why I just wanted to kind of solve problems uh, and do it in a way that was economically sustainable. So I came to Chicago to go to ministry school, and while I was in ministry school, I went to uh, volunteer at a local high school on the south side of Chicago in the Inglewood neighborhood. Um, and for me, like, that was really my first time sort of coming face-to-face with, uh, you know, sort of hardcore inner-city poverty. Um, and being someone growing up in Madison and, you know, kind of growing up far away from a lot of those issues, you know, it was kind of jarring. So I just sort of saw it at that time as more of like a crisis of faith, if you will. And um, I was like, hey, if I'm, you know, a Christian and if I really do believe in Jesus, I need to kind of put my life where my mouth is. And that's kind of got me on this journey. Um, and then this, the entrepreneurship piece just kind of came in because, you know, we just needed a way to be financially sustainable as an organization. Like, I definitely did not want to be one of those traditional nonprofit leaders who 20, 30 years into it, you're still begging for money to be able to pay your staff. So um, from the very beginning, we were like, if we're going to be free. We're going to need to be financially free. And the only way to do that is if you have the entrepreneurial component to your work. Got it. Got it. Perfect. Um and and by the way, that's not a uncommon story, as you can imagine. A lot of people you start off perhaps in the nonprofit and and purely nonprofit and charity, and end up becoming a little more um, 
social entrepreneurial. Um, a lot of times it's hybrid organizations, as you probably know at this point, there's people that try this and try that. And But basically it is for the same purpose of financial sustainability and, and finding a, a level of a foundational um, sense of, of stability so that they can do the work that they want to do. Um, what And so Chicago Southside, before we get to the actual organization that you're running in the, in the particular social enterprise, Describe it a bit for us, for those who don't know Chicago South Side, because that's where you're stationed. Well, tell us a bit about it, and and that'll also help us explain why you're so uh, inspired to to make a difference there. Yeah, so if you've never uh, been to South Side Chicago, it's uh, it's a big place. Um, basically, it's it, it's you know very rough. Uh, there's a lot of urban blight, so we're talking uh, thousands of acres of you know vacant land in residential neighborhoods. There's a lot of crime, uh, a lot of poverty. So when I first came to Chicago, uh, I was just very struck by that dichotomy of how you could really be in one of the most economically prosperous cities, not just in America, but in the world. And, you know, you go downtown the north side and it can feel like Malibu in a lot of places, but then right. you go to the south side and it feels like you're in a third world country. It's really that stark. Um, you know, a lot of people try to avoid certain parts of the South Side of Chicago. Like when most people come to tour Chicago, they're going to the Bean, they're going to the Field Museum, right? They're going maybe catch a game at like Wrigley Field. Yep. You know, rarely you're going to see someone say, hey, I want to go to Inglewood, right? I want to go to Auburn <laughs> Gresham, right? So um, it's generally it's generally kind of become like this no-fly zone for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, where I live in Inglewood, it's, you know, the population has uh, shrank dramatically over the years. Uh, at the height in the 70s, the population of my neighborhood was about 70,000 people. Now it's closer to 25,000 people. Um, and people have just been moving out uh, just because of the crime, the violence, and the blight. So it's a very, uh, I guess, dark place uh, in the sense of there's just not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of jobs. Um, and it's a place that most people are trying to flee from. Mm -hmm. uh, so because of that, that's very important for us to live here. So me, my wife, and my family, we do live in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, where we work. So this isn't, this is our life. Like this is a lifestyle. Um, it's definitely not for the faint of heart, but right. that's, that's generally the uh, larger picture, you know, the backdrop that we're working. That's, that's actually amazing because to hear that someone put themselves right there, um, it really shows a sense of dedication. So tell us about Chicago Eco House first. And and that, I guess that was the the very beginning when you started that, or did you start um, Southside Blooms at the same time? How did they, how did it kind of evolve? Yeah. So we started Chicago Eco House first back in 2014. So we've been okay. doing this for 10 years. Um, my wife, Hannah, she's a co-founder, you know, we actually met because of Chicago Eco House and got married because we had the same common passion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is very, very personal. Nice. Um, you know, so like we started Chicago Eco House, uh, that was more the farm side. So we really spent those early years, uh, just trying to figure out, you know, how to do urban agriculture. Uh, so with all, with all the vacant land, you know, we're kind of, we're just trying to think of, okay, well, what kind of economic opportunities could we bring to this community? And we are, there's like these vacant buildings, but, you know, actually trying to acquire a vacant building in Chicago is very difficult. Uh, so, you know, we had a much easier time with vacant land. Um, and then it just became a matter of, well, where are we going to grow? So we did experiment a lot in those early years. Uh, we started with food, but we kind of ran into a lot of the issues with need to be able to maintain certain water, sanitation levels, you know, you need to make sure that you have certain power requirements. Like there's just a lot more regulation with mm -hmm. food. Plus, right. you know, the market's way more competitive. Uh, you know, most urban farms are either doing CSAs or, you know, selling to like restaurants or that kind of deal. 
but you're competing with big ag. Like that's really where most of the money at is, you know, with the ConAgra's of the world and Dole and that kind of deal. So we got into flowers because uh, we're looking at the economics of it. And there isn't like a big national flower industry. You know, about 80% of the flowers you see in the United States actually come from overseas with two thirds of that coming from Central and South America. Um, and it's about $35 billion a year industry. So, you know, we're thinking to ourselves, well, wait a minute, we got all this vacant land here. It doesn't make sense for us to be growing flowers in Guatemala and Costa Rica. We could be doing that right here in Inglewood, right? Mm-hmm. Right on the south side of Chicago. So that's when we started to pursue flowers. And for, it took us a little bit to figure out how to grow flowers in the city. But once we kind of got a lot of those kinks out, then that's when Southside Blooms came to life. Because then we needed a way to sell those flowers, right? So Southside Blooms is just the market-facing side of our organization. It's the it's a full-service flower shop. We do events. We do, you know, uh, the weddings, funerals, retail bouquets. Um, so we are a fully vertically integrated uh, business that all is a 501c3 nonprofit. And so who are the people that you hire to work with you? Tell us how that works. Yeah. So, you know, the whole mission of our organization is to use sustainability to alleviate poverty. And at the heart of what we're doing, it's about preserving life um, in all of its forms. So, you know, when you're in a neighborhood that has a very high murder rate and, you know, crime rate, we're, we want to hire the kids who are most affected by that. So in terms of the, who we're hiring, it's the youth in these neighborhoods. Uh, you know, we're trying to provide a viable way for them to not be on the streets anymore, not to be in gangs and that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll, you know, hire them, we'll train them up to be flower farmers, to be florists. They're going out there with us to, you know, do a high-end wedding. You know, we, the Field Museum, they're one of our vendors. Um, you know, we actually did one of our biggest weddings in our organization's history, uh, back in September. Yeah, like a $25,000 or, you know, budget just for flowers. Uh, we're wow. in the Great Hall, you know, we're the dinosaurs and that kind of thing. We, you know, <laughs> decked all out with flowers and, yeah, we're bringing youth from the, the the South Side of Chicago to do that. They knocked it out. So that's who we're doing this for. Um, and that's really where our passion is, is really to try to preserve their life and give them a platform to really showcase their skills and talents for the world to see. And so the mandate is to provide jobs, but also training opportunities for the to for them to become, you call it, is it flower farming? Is, I didn't yeah, realize yeah. how big a thing that is. Is there opportunities for that? right now it gets in the u.s because like you said most of the flower markets is 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 it imports not export right so yes. are you trying to change that paradigm are you trying yeah to work yeah okay. so you know there's definitely uh so most of the flowers that are grown in the united states you know at a commercial level is, is in california right. um you know and then outside of that you have like a lot of like small family you know run farms um, but it's, it's a small dent in comparison to like the flowers are coming in via import, like, as you said, right. um, you know, and definitely for us, like we definitely have ambitions to scale, to become a national organization. And we do have interest from other cities who are like, Hey, we'd love to have a Southside blooms. You know, Chicago is not the only city grappling with these like urban, you know, issues. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, definitely. We would love to see one day flowers being in everywhere from Chicago to Detroit to Philadelphia, you know, wherever there's inner city, we'd love to be there. That's great. Um, I also love just the, the whole concept of flowers blooming, um, growth, uh, rebirth, you know, there's so many metaphoric elements of 
the flower industry. I mean, I, I don't know that was part of it all your decision making, but I think you were much you you looked at it from a business angle and I'm just looking at it from this poetic kind of thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's beautiful, but um, I'm glad that there's a, a, a lovely strategy, um, business strategy that goes beyond where my mind goes, but I think that's wonderful. And so Eco started in 2014 and when did Southside Blooms start up? In 2020. 2020. Okay. So that's more recent. Um, so how would you define the impact you've had so far? What, what gives you hope for future work and stuff like that? Yeah, so first and foremost uh, is the, the, the jobs we're creating for the youth. So, you know, today we have about 20 youth on our payroll, uh, ranging from part-time to full-time. Right. Um, so before Southside Bloom, you know, we had pretty much no youth. You know, that's definitely the thing that encouragement is that we're seeing our ability to be able to hire and retain youth uh, increase. Uh, you know, some of the youth who've been with us the longest have been working for us for two years or more at this point. So, mm -hmm. you know, like we're seeing that retention rate uh, increasing too, the longer we do this, which is a huge deal. Cause you know, yeah. you're talking about uh, a demographic that though they don't really have like all those soft skills or hard skills, you know, to really thrive in a more conventional work environment. So that really tells us that we built something here where, you know, youth in our community, you know, youth who normally probably wouldn't thrive in, you know, at McDonald's or five guys or something, but they can thrive here at Southside Bloom. So that gives us a lot of encouragement. Um, also, we've just seen a lot of growth, you know, with our customer base. So our organization back in 2020, when, you know, we were just launching a Southside Blooms or about $100,000 a year budget. Now we're, you know, exceeding $2 million a year. Uh, okay. That's in what, you know, four years. So that's amazing. Um, you know, yeah, it's been, it's been astronomical growth, particularly talking about like a non in the nonprofit sector, you know, like Generally, I guess you'll see those numbers more in like Silicon Valley, but it's really speaking to how, you know, our brand and our product and our service is really resonating in the marketplace. Um, so that's definitely makes us very bullish about the future. Um, and then on the environmental side, we currently farm about 10 acres of land. So that's 10 acres that have, you know, formerly blighted vacant lots that now are youthful flower farms. So we're seeing that real physical transformation in the neighborhoods in the city of old vacant lots becoming these flower farms and it's really beginning to change the the face and complexion of the community. Yeah, like I would say these are very, very good times for us and for our communities. And I would never have thought in a million years that flowers would open up so many doors. Like there's so many people hey. who love them out. Um and it's, it's and we're talking about gritty neighborhoods like Inglewood and places like that. Um, flowers have a natural way of softening that image, softening uh, the people here, uh, you know, so that it becomes a natural bridge builder, right? So yeah. it's, you know, creating bridges uh, into other parts of the city and other parts of the country that otherwise wouldn't be there. So, yeah. you know, like these are, I don't know, it's amazing. I mean, I don't, that wasn't the plan in the beginning, you mm -hmm. know, like at first, kind of what you're saying, we were looking at this strictly as from a business standpoint, but it is becoming a lot more than that. It is kind of like what you're saying. It's like, it's becoming very poetic in a very human way. And it's very beautiful just to see how this is unlocking, you know, that love and compassion and peace that all of us want to be a part of. That's beautiful. And I also just think of like the sort of the microcosm of, 
you know, how flowers add beauty to a house's curb appeal. So I feel like in a, in a larger micro, I know I'm getting into poetry here, but I feel like on a macro level, you're lending curb appeal to the city of Chicago, the South side anyway, um, probably beyond. Um, in terms of your short or long-term goals, I, I know you've had interests, you said from other cities. Um, what, do you have any ideas of where you want to take this next or or- Oh yeah, totally. Yes, we want to go national. Like that's definitely where we're where our mindset's at. Um, you know, one of the things that we're actually looking to do this year is start shipping flowers nationally because you know currently we just ship our flowers uh, or we deliver our flowers locally. Right. But yes, like in the next three or five years, uh, the push is to be in as many cities as as possible. Um, you know, because like there's just two. I don't know. I don't know if you're into like you know Lord of Rings or whatever, but you know I think of like Frodo, you know, with you know the <laughs> ring, and it feels like we basically caught lightning in a bottle, right. and we do feel like this sense of responsibility to really protect it and be a good steward of you know the metaphorical ring, right, and uh, to make sure it gets you know used for good purposes. Yeah. Um, and in our case, like that's really trying to bring peace and prosperity to a lot of parts of America that could desperately use it. So yeah, like we definitely want to try to scale this to the point where one day when you think of the inner city, you're not thinking about guns, drugs, and violence. You're thinking about flowers, pitchforks, and shovels. So that's you know that's, that's kind of like the ultimate uh, goal here. That's beautiful. And I think getting on shows like Ellen, I was going to bring that up <laughs> somehow, <laughs> is helping propel you forward a little bit. I mean, you know, I saw the clip from that interview. You did a great job. Um, but are you getting more and more interest in that way? Is that something that's... Yeah, so, uh, I mean, the Ellen thing, that was just totally out the blue. You know, I mean, that that they actually reached out to us through Instagram. I actually thought it was spam at first, you know. <laughs> I would have thought <laughs> the same. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was really the Ellen, you know, Ellen generous show. So, um, you know, goes to show you, don't just ignore those. Uh, right, rants. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Don't just block, block. Right. Every now and then there'll be a gold nugget. But right. uh, but yeah, you know, ever since that show, it's really kind of opened up more sure. opportunities on the national stage. Uh, you know, like recently we were, you know, invited to go down to Disney for, you know, their holiday show and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, like I would say, you know, there is becoming more interest. We're starting to get more traction at the national level, which is also really feeding that, uh, you know, that fire to grow and to yeah. go national. Uh, we're seeing there's an appetite for it. You know, like if people like Ellen DeGeneres or we'd be on the Steve Harvey show and that kind of thing, if they see, if they basically, you know, see the value in what we're bringing um, and the vision that we're casting out there is resonating with those kind of people, then you start thinking to yourself, well, it'll resonate with anybody, you know? Right. So, right. Um, you know, we really do feel like the sky's the limit. That's amazing. What would you say that is the the biggest challenge? I, we didn't get to that yet. And I really love hearing those stories because it helps other people inspire them to keep going. And oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, dude, there's been tons of failures. Um, I would say <laughs> I'd say the biggest challenge is uh not quitting. Because we've definitely seen, you know, after 10 years, you'd be surprised like how many organizations and efforts just kind of come and go. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, like if I were talking to a budding social entrepreneur. Um, I think the first piece of advice I would give them is to really take the time and count the cost. When you look at what we're doing today, like, yeah, sure, like everybody wants that kind of success, so to speak. But, um, you know, what you don't see is, you know, we really did put our life on the line here, right? I mean, 
there's days, you know, especially in the early days when we moved here where there were shootings on a regular basis on our block, yeah. you know, and, you know, we're in the frying pan. I'm in the frying pans. Not a lot of people, not a lot of people want to put their their life at risk, right? Right, right. Um, so, you know, that's the first thing is like really taking the time and counting the costs of, okay, am I really willing to pay the ultimate price, you know, even if that means your life, to see the change you want to see in the world, right? Um, and then after that, I would basically say, you know, being adaptable, you know, like uh, we had a million different ideas of what we thought this would be. And we essentially had to <laughs> be in a nonstop um, state of adaptation and adjusting. Because, um, you know, once you, you know, you have your ideals, but once you kind of get out there and you're, you know, in the game, so to speak, and you start getting hit, um, you know, you, you have to be able to adjust, you have to be able yeah. to think outside the box, you have to be able to keep your wits about yourself. Um, you have to be able to see hidden opportunities, right? Um, and that's very, very difficult for a lot of people, because like a lot of people, they're very used to only seeing like what's in front of them and they can't like have any vision beyond that. Right. Yeah. Um, and really look at flowers. I mean, yeah, it's all lovely today, but back in the beginning, a lot of people were upset with us doing flowers. Really? Like, hey, you're, you're in like these food deserts, you know, where people have a hard time getting uh, access to high quality food and right. you're talking about flowers, right? <laughs> like, but so, your flowers are helping people get food. I mean, it's exactly a, right. right, right, right. But people didn't see that in the beginning, right? right so right. you have to really be able to be able to convey the the benefits of that and be able to stick to your guns, but also adjust it in a way so that it resonate with a lot of people. So often when I ask about challenges, the answers become a mix of of lessons learned and challenges together. So I don't have a problem with it at all. But I, now I want to say, well, what are your biggest lessons learned? I feel like you've sort of answered it. <laughs> yeah. So I think like, you know, there's you probably get a lot of advice on like the technical parts of doing this kind of work. But um, I would say like the greatest lesson I learned is just the value of uh, of keeping your joy. Like I'm generally like a very happy guy. And, you know, for me, like a lot of my joy comes from my faith and that's kind of what keeps me going. But, right. you know, like looking back on it, um, especially when you're doing very tough and hard work and there's a lot of trauma and a lot of just human tragedy going on around you, you'd be shocked. I mean, I was shocked at just how people just gravitate to a joyful spirit, right? A joyful personality. You know what I mean? Um, and it doesn't cost you anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you don't need to raise a million dollars. You don't need to do this. Like, you know, when you have like that natural joy, it's infectious. Um, it's, it's, I've been, I've been very surprised at how many doors just being happy has opened up for me, uh, you know, over the last 10 plus years doing this work. Um, so I think like that would probably be the number one lesson learned is being joyful and being happy and maintaining that happiness, like whatever kind of you know, whatever kind of gets you to your happy place. So like that's, that's a powerful weapon. So, yeah. uh, you know, that would be my biggest lesson. learned. That's beautiful. And I wish more people, including myself, I mean, it's very hard to sometimes maintain that, but if you can, and I like the fact that you said that it's helped you get beyond the challenges and not only that, but it's helped you get better opportunities. Um, the, the joyfulness and being positive and I mean, I wish we would all sort of listen to that very loud and clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Is there anything else that you wanted to say that I'd give you a chance? I mean, you know, I guess like you could just, you know, go to our website, southsideblooms.com to learn more about us and, you know, to to follow our work. And, um, you know, basically I would, the last thing I would just like to say is I really do feel like social entrepreneurs are the uh, future of our country and the future of our world. Like I do feel like we're part of this new economic shift where we're kind of, you know, the legacy approach to capitalism starting to fade and die um, as we are seeing a lot of the shortcomings of that approach. 
And I mm-hmm. do feel like social entrepreneurs are going to sort of pick up where our legacy capitalists have left off um, and really move our economy forward in terms of fulfilling a lot of those more human-centric uh, goals of having a more just and equitable and loving society. So don't give up. You know, it's still very early on the game. Uh, people kind of forget that there's a time in the 18th, you know, the 19th century when the industrialists that we all celebrate today uh, look like they're going to go bust. You know what I mean? This so, is true. <laughs> so do not give up. You know, like this is this is the time to get into social entrepreneurship um, and to really be a part of driving that, uh, you know, that that better future that we all want to be a part of. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Bierbaum. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.